Fractured Skulls. It is Tuesday, November 23rd. We're just, well, as of this recording, two days away from Thanksgiving, three days away from Black Friday. The Flash made its season eight premiere last week, and nobody gives a shit. Terminator Travis alongside my good pal Monoxide. Monoxide, how you been this fine evening? Oh, I'm feeling all rejuvenated, eating milk and cookies, Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Yeah, you gotta relax on those Ben and Jerry's, man. I know you love them. Yeah, it's putting a dent in my pocket. That's what they do. I, I, I may have not been. In, I'm not really a big ice cream guy, honestly. I always have been. I love ice cream. It's one of my favorite uh, things to have. I used to always chase down ice cream truck just have some ice cream. Especially yeah, I like I like popsicles. Well, yeah, but yeah, that's those... popsicles. Yeah, but I'm talking legit ice cream, like vanilla, chocolate, strawberry, milkshakes. Anything with toppings, whatever your heart's contempt. So I'm a uh, sucker. I'm a sucker for milkshakes. Oh yeah, love milkshakes. I remember the, the one time we went to Dairy Queen. You had the vanilla, I had the chocolate milkshake. That's right. Yeah. Oh, that was good. Mm-hmm. I'm not crazy about Cold Stone because uh, whenever I ask them to add anything like Oreo cookies, they grind it up too much. They don't leave a good amount of chunks in there, so it just becomes one blah. It's just basically eating like the crumbs of the cookie. Exactly. Come on. Well, we got two uh, films to review here. Um, I guess it makes sense to do these films since, you know, the whole pandemic. But before we get to that, we got some pre-topics. Only two. Uh, The first one being, uh, I just found this just like an hour or so ago. Um, Any fans of Tales of the Crypt? Anyone remember the TV series in the 90s? Uh, anyone grew up reading the comic books? Well, as of today, uh, the trademark issue has been settled between, uh, I guess, the producers and the and William M. Gaines, the family. I know for years, it feels like it feels like it's been longer than a decade. But they said uh, this thing has been happening since 2013. That there's been like rights issues, money issues between the William the Gaines family, HBO, the producers over the whole Tales of the Crypt name and franchise and where that's going to go and they said that the trademark issue has been settled today um I've been reading I don't know who got what I don't know what's going to happen for the future of Tales of the Crypt because years ago I know M. Night Shyamalan has expressed in doing a uh, possible reboot I believe on TNT they even released like a teaser trailer for it but um it just never came to fruition um and that's really the last we've heard of Tales of the Crypt. So now with this trademark issue coming to a close, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, Tales of the Crypt has never been remastered in HD. They've never aired any reruns of it on HBO, especially around like during Halloween time. You would think they would. Um, it's not on any streaming service. It's not on no HBO Max. Uh, nothing. I mean, you can find episodes of it on YouTube, but that's really the best place, the best spot to find any episodes is on YouTube. So, I hope this is good news. Maybe it is good news, I think? Because this show has been needing to be reintroduced, I think, to today's generation for quite a long time. I miss the Crypt Keeper. I was a big fan of the series in the 90s. Uh, I was a fan of the movies, for the most part. Um, I don't know, I, I miss Tales of the Crypt. I miss all that stuff. Hopefully, with this uh, trademark issue coming to an end, we could possibly get something uh, happening in the future regarding the Tales of the Crypt name. You ever watch the show? 
Not really. That was more of my wife's thing. Never really uh, intrigued me in any way, shape, or form. Uh, though this lawsuit that you just described to me almost sounds like the uh, Friday the 13th lawsuit, where it's just a bunch of ugliness of two people fighting over money issues or rights issues and stuff like that. Um, but it is quite interesting that you just uh, alerted to me that it's not available on any streaming service. It's not available anywhere because of the, I don't know if it was in relation to this, but it is quite shocking because of the cult following that it has. You'd think it'd be available somewhere. Hopefully now it's available in other, uh, I don't know, streaming services. I don't know where it would go, if it would go on Paramount, if it would go on Peacock, if it would go on HBO Max. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't heard a rumor that Disney uh, owns it. Hey, imagine, imagine that on Disney Plus. <laughs> but Disney owns everything. Damn. But it, 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 Disney owns everything to the point whenever I say I'm going to Universal Studios, somebody says, oh, that's part of Disney? They, they actually think they're owned by Disney. I don't want Disney to own everything. God, could you imagine? That'd be pretty freaky because, yeah, because then it's scary. All, it would be all under Disney's rule of thumb, and Disney has their own strict rules on how they want their products to be made. And some of it, true and fair, some of it, not so much. And it's like, no, I don't want Disney to control everything. Like, dude. <laughs> That would be like, I think DDP said it best, like, as bad as Coke and Pepsi are for you, they need each other. Yeah, imagine you just only have one brand of soda. Like seriously, I, I, okay, I could live with the fact that Dr. Pepper was the only soda ever, because it's the greatest soda ever, but come on. I like to have a little bit of Mountain Dew or Pepsi or Cherry Coke or something. Sprite. You, you, you need alternatives, you need, yeah, varieties. We all have different tastes in movies, different tastes. You know, not everyone likes Disney. Not a lot of people, you know, and I'm pretty sure they have good reasons. A lot of people don't like Disney for what they did to Star Wars. Fair point. Okay. But, you know, Disney's not all bad. They've done good. I mean, all these stu- all these major movie studios have done good. They've all produced some of my favorite films. And some of the worst, too. Well, now, I, I, I don't want to see the entire... I don't want to see Disney basically become the monopoly of, of like Hollywood yeah I mean I like old Disney but current Disney I couldn't really tell you much about and, and then the Disney network I couldn't get into any of their shows their shows have always been pretty lackluster to say the least so yeah I would prefer there to be all sorts of different things but that's basically um, the Tales of the Crypt thing. Hopefully, uh, we get some good, something regarding them in the future. I think I wouldn't mind a reboot or a remake, uh, another second season of the show. Oh, to, oh, in, in you wouldn't mind that, but would you mind it being M. Night Shyamalan being behind it? Um, I have a love-hate relationship with him. Well, I want to say love because I don't love his all oh, those films, but... I think a lot of people hate Shyamalan because of Last Airbender. You take you take that film out of his filmography, I think he'd be just another guy. I don't like that every movie that he has has to have some sort of ridiculous swerve. That really, he he virtually in and of a nutshell, he's the Vince Russo of Hollywood. Well, and the thing about Tales in the Crypt is that that's what they were known for is that they they would have a twist in the end. Right. 
Now, I can't judge for Tiles of the Crypt, but I can judge him Night Shyamalan, because I've seen a couple of his films. His swerves were sometimes so damn random. It didn't make any sense. Like, why? What was just to have a swerve? I don't need a swerve in every single movie that I watch. Sometimes the most predictable ending is the best ending to do. Again, I, I think we've discussed this on this podcast. Freaking superhero movies are the most predictable movies that you can produce out there. Bad guy does bad deed. Good guy comes to vanquish the bad guy. It's so damn formulaic. But guess what? It's been told for how many years now? Since the dawn of time? Since we created language? Since we were able to communicate with each other? It still works. It still works and it still makes a lot of money. Still makes a lot of money. It just varies. It varies from character to character. And I guess we'll get to our second story. Um, speaking of superheroes, we have a new supervillain. Yeah, he did it for um, The Rock. He did it for The Rock. I'll, I'll let you take the reins of this one. Uh, this happened last night on Monday Night Raw, and you go ahead. Well, basically, there was an angle that uh, Seth Rollins, professional wrestler Seth Rollins, Seth Rollins partook in, where him and another wrestler named Finn Balor were in the ring, and Seth Rollins... Beat him up, you know, left him land, and Seth Rollins was walking away. Now, Seth Rollins, not from his peripheral vision, but some random fan came from behind and literally gave him, as Monty Brown would call it, the pounce! And while he's pouncing him or spearing him or whatever, Seth Rollins held a headlock on him. But what was strange was that they caught some of it on live TV and they commented on it and then they shut up and then just focused on the story that they were trying to tell. And the next thing you know, you see Seth Rollins with blood all over his face. Well, obviously there's more footage that you can see from fan cams of fans filming the whole thing. And so apparently the motive behind this person was that he literally released a video saying, I did it for the rock. I did it for Rikishi. I did it for the people. I did it for the tribal chief. It's Kazel, whatever the fuck it was. Guys and gals, we have a term in the wrestling business when a fan takes wrestling so seriously that they jump the rail to beat up on the bad guy or try to get after the bad guy. We call them marks. Like every time I kept seeing this video of this one dude explaining his actions, all I kept thinking was the clip from The Room. Oh, hi, Mark. That's what this guy was, a fucking Mark. Um, back in the day, in the old days, the territory days, back in the 70s when wrestling was a regional territory business, if a fan jumped the barricade, it was expected of the wrestler to just beat the shit out of that fan. Beat his ass. Mark him. Make sure that he leaves with either a black eye, a broken bone, or a bloody nose, or something. Can't do that now. I've gotten so much... I shouldn't say that, but I saw somebody on Twitter chastise my opinion, which was, if I was Vince McMahon, I would have given Seth Rollins my blessing to stomp this fucking guy's head in. And I was told uh, I didn't know what I was talking about because the way Seth handled it was handled perfectly. We can argue if he handled it perfectly or not. Hindsight's 2020. You're thinking on your feet. You're thinking with only seconds to react. Can't really judge that man. That being said, 
bullshit. If this fan would have had a knife, and trust me, I've been to WrestleManias where somebody was able to sneak in with their damn pocket knife. Security sucks at these events. They suck. They suck serious ass. They will chastise you for having a bag that's bigger than four by six and is not see-through, but will never, like, pat you down if you've got a fucking knife, a fucking knife in your pocket. So you have to take every fan who jumps over the barricade as a viable threat. Unless maybe it's a child or an elderly woman. Who knows? I would have told Seth, go ahead, stomp his fucking brains out. Because we got to teach fans, marks, not to go ahead and jump the barricade. You may hate this wrestler, but it's entertainment. You react to that wrestler, and that's it. You don't have to jump the barricade. You can even mouth off with the wrestler. But you do not go and jump the barricade and start a fight. Because then the consequences, as one, uh, I think it was Jesse Slaughter's father said, the consequences will never be the same. Yeah, um, me, how I felt about the situation, yes, I agree. Uh, Roth, Roth, uh, Rollins, we'll get to Roth soon, but Rollins should have beaten this guy's ass. He had every right, because once they jump over that barricade, all bets are off. Back in the, as you mentioned, back in the old days, I was, pro- I was probably a requirement if a fan jumps the rail, beat the living shit out of them. Because if they beat your ass, you're out of a job. Because the illusion was sold on the fact that you were legitimately tough. And this fan uh, speared Seth Rollins down, gave him a pounce, a gore, whatever you want to call it. He speared him, and he got him good. And Rollins yeah. tried try to turn around, try to get him into like some weird-looking headlock, but by that point, the security came... And they basically took control of the situation. I I can understand everybody's imperfect, but where the fuck was security for this guy? I don't know. They They have any security like on the side of the entranceway, because because that again that part of the arena is always dark, or you know they don't light it up at least for television viewers to see. But yeah, where how the hell did that fan make it that far? That's what I can't fathom. Because ladies and gentlemen, about almost three years prior. At WrestleMania 35 weekend at the Hall of Fame, Bret Hart was being inducted into the Hall of Fame a second time for his uh, Hart Foundation run with Jim Neidhart. So he's in the ring with his uh, niece, Natalia, Jim Neidhart's daughter. And here's the thing, okay? Bret Hart is a stroke victim and he survived uh, prostate cancer. So dude's been through a lot within the last two decades. So he can't really do much as far as physically. He can, he can do the basic stuff. He can walk. He can talk. He can do this, that, and the other. He can do basic stuff. I don't know how what his workout regime is. But anyways, he's in the ring. He's in the ring doing his acceptance speech. And somehow, some way, a fan who was wearing a Rastafari hat ran into the ring, was able to get into the ring past all these wrestlers who are surrounding the fucking ring... And tackle Bret Hart. Where was everybody in their fucking minds when this was going on? I do not know. The fan got in the ring. He attacked Bret Hart. Probably like whoa. And then they, uh, I don't, I, I was at the uh, the New Japan ROH show when this happened, so I didn't see the the foot the. I didn't see it live as it was happening. 
Right. I was with my wife somewhere. I think I was using that day to just relax because uh, other shit was going on that weekend. But suffice it to say, when I saw it, I just said to myself, how did he get past everybody? There, there was not one person that noticed something was amiss with this man and stopped him before he could tackle him. Now, luckily, he didn't do much damage to Brett. He just, like, shook him up. That was really it. Luckily. But, dear God. Like, we got to be more caring about these wrestlers because one of these days, one, a fan is going to have the access to a weapon and is going to do something drastic. And I do not want to be watching it on TV when it happens. That's why I'm advocating. I'm not saying it's going to eradicate it completely. But I am saying it'll probably lessen the chance of some random fan coming in with a knife and doing something. Because now that fan has it in his mind that, okay, maybe security will squirt me away, but the wrestler ain't gonna do anything because it's the security's job. So I'll just go in there and shank him once or twice. Or, God forbid, if it's a woman. Because, yeah, women wrestle too. And there are female villains. Who's to say that a male ain't gonna come in and try and stab a fucking woman? I'm saying, man or woman, I think the wrestler should have every right as soon as that fan jumps in fucking stomp on his ass or her ass or what have you this was something that i got a lot of heat for about 12 years ago when chris jericho got surrounded he was leaving a, i think he was leaving a house show or he was leaving someplace and a group of these marks surrounded the car and jericho sat there and let them mouth off he tried to get back into the car and then this female like basically pulled him out preventing him from getting in the car spat at him and i think she hit him once obviously it wasn't a, a hard hit because it's chris jericho and then she went to go hit him again and this time he went and fucking just laid her out and, and everyone's had, like oh my she God. had like she had like three guys with him man he laid all of them out too <laughs> jericho yeah. oh, them up. and jericho got pissed off more so at security because the security's right there just standing there just watching as it all goes down He's like, do your fucking job. Like, what the hell? Yeah, and, they, were, and, they, and, were, they were banging on his car. They wouldn't let him back into his car. The, the fan, the fan, that girl that was. The guys yeah. who were banging on his It was ridiculous. Yeah, and I got a lot of heat for saying that he was justified in doing what he did. Oh, but he hit a woman. She woman. hit him! She hit him twice, spat at him, and prevented him from getting into his car. And, of course, security wasn't going to do anything, so he had to do something. What the fuck was he gonna do? He's surrounded by all these fans. If he didn't do anything, they were just gonna keep hitting him and attacking him and assaulting him. Luckily, nothing happened to him as far as punishment. The the event or that moment kind of like spurred up for like a week or two, and then it just became a forgotten moment. But you yeah. know, it's just it's things like that. You you never know. No, I mean Larry Zabisco once said that he got stabbed in the ass once. Before we get to our movie reviews, I gotta promote the Patreon, patreon.com slash just telling network for one whole dollar. You get full access to this episode along with other great past episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at just chillin' net. You can follow us on Facebook at just chillin' network. 
and on Twitter at JustChillinNet. You can follow this guy, my good old partner in crime, on Instagram at Owen underscore heart underscore guy. He's on Twitter as well at Monoxide YouTube. I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, hell, hell, even on Snapchat at Silent Poison. Follow us today and donate some money. Get your spatula. And with that said, we're going to get into today's film discussion. And it's Cabin Fever. Cabin Fever, the first one, and Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever. But we're going to start with the first film, which is probably it was just a film that everyone knows about, or mostly heard about it in some capacity. This came out in 2002. It's a horror film. It's a comedy film? Uh, this film has a little bit of everything. We'll, we're gonna, we'll talk about all that. It's, directed, it's written and directed by Eli Roth. Co-written by his partner, Randy Perlstein. Um, it stars the guy from the boy from Boy Meets World, Ryder Strong, yep, Jordan, Jordan Ladd, and a bunch of other actors. I don't know. With a budget of $1.5 million, it's this film drew in $30.6 million at the box office, making it one of the most successful horror films of 2002. Of course, falling, falling short to another 2002 film we reviewed on here, The Ring. Yeah, but I enjoyed this significantly more than The Ring. Let's talk about Cabin Fever. Uh, what do you want to talk about? Well, I mean, you know, it's about a flesh-eating virus. Uh, these teens are are uh, spending a vacation, a weekend, or a week, whatever, at this cabin. And one by one, they all get diseased by this flesh-eating virus. Yeah. So... This was actually my introduction to Ryder Strong because I didn't watch Boy Meets World prior to seeing this movie. I watched Boy Meets World a little bit later. Um, so yeah, I never really got to know Ryder Strong. Um, when I watched, I've watched this movie several times back in the day. This is the first time I've watched it in about a number of years. I would say about a good seven, eight years. Uh, watching it again it feels like it drags at points specifically more so at the end but i don't so yeah you, you got these five well first off it starts off with a hermit who's in the middle of the woods and he's got a dog that's laying there and he's trying to feed him this this weird rodent that he found and then come to find out that the dog is dead and its skin is completely like rotting away. And that's how he gets the disease because the blood squirted in his face. That's so what he, you mean? he basically, or the dog is, they're like patient zero of this virus. Mm -hmm. So you, that's where you meet the five individuals who would be the surrounding uh, figure of this movie. Again, Ryder Strong as we point out. They stop at a store where this weird blonde kid likes to bite people. Whatever reason. Oh, and he also screams pancakes before he bites people for some reason. I don't know what the correlation is between him and pancakes, but whatever. And uh, one of the guys does bring up a valid point to the store owner. Because the store owner says, "No, everybody knows that you shouldn't be sitting next to Dennis. That's the name of the kid. But the guy brings up a valid point. If this kid is a biter... Wouldn't you want a sign that says, don't sit next to this kid if he's just going to sit at this bench? Because he would be liable for a lawsuit. Yeah, and why is he outside? Put his ass upstairs. 
put him somewhere else where he's not around public people. This kid's gonna go around biting people. I don't want the kid to be deprived of not having any fresh air, but... Yeah. I don't want to get bit! I don't know how this kid has. <laughs> well, that's why Open you bring the, window. the kid... That's why you bring the kid out when there's not a lot of people. You don't... Obviously, you don't bring... Leave him at a bench at the store front where customers are coming in and he just randomly bites people. You bring him somewhere else where he's not going to be a danger to anybody. Anyways... All the people come in, the old man starts talking to them. He's a real, he's an interesting character. He has a funny lisp and all that. And so the guy sells like these weird things like fox urine and stuff like that. But the best part is, so they, they ask him, what's the fox urine for? And they, he goes, oh, it's for fox season. And he has a rifle sitting behind him. And they're like, well, what's that rifle for? And he goes, oh, that's for N-words. We'll get to that later, because I think this is one of the greatest, like, deliveries of all time. <laughs> and, and see, he's laughing, so he knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> he just says it, and at that point, it's just dropped. Every, they, they're obviously, like, put off by it. They purchased their stuff. They're about to leave, and then James DeBello's character stole a Snickers bars, and the guy caught him. And they're like, ah, he's a racist piece of shit, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And then they go to their cabin. Keep in mind what I just said, the, the, that's for N-words. We're going to get to that. They do readdress this. I, when I first saw it, I never thought it'd be readdressed. But it does get readdressed. So they find the cabin. And you notice that one couple's having sex. You notice that one couple is out in the ocean or in the pond or whatever and one guy is shooting squirrels why are you shooting squirrels because they're gay <laughs> all right you know the dialogue hasn't aged well in this film because they use the word gay a lot they use the word retard um this is 2002 folks yeah this is yeah this was i think this film was shot like in 2000 and was released 2002 2003 whatever um this film was independently made um, and just got distributed by uh, Lionsgate. I guarantee you if a major studio was behind this, they would have told Eli to chop, you know, to cut down on those, on the insults. And they probably would have told him to get rid of the whole pancake scene as a whole, which we'll get to in a bit. Yeah. But so these te these teenagers, they're kind of, I guess you could say, uh, they're, they were modern. They're like a modernized, uh, teens from like a Friday the 13th film. Because they're mostly assholes, they like sex, they, you know, you've seen these, char these characters before in other films, in other horror films. Yeah, in a way. In a way, everybody yeah. Had, everybody had, like, a likable factor and a dislikable factor, I guess, but I didn't hate any of them. Didn't love no, any of not, them. No, none of them annoyed me. The uh, James DeBello's character was funny. Yeah, because in the movie, he talks about a story about how he was jerking off and some dog tried to lick his balls. And as soon as he ejaculated, he started licking his scrotum or some shit. <laughs> like, what the fuck? That's a story you tell people? <laughs> and, she, and, and I think one of the guys, the blonde-headed guy's girlfriend, like, that's not funny. And then he's like, yes, it is, you fucking slut. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then she looked at her man like, are you going to say something? And then he's just like, tell her the other funny story about the bald head, the bowling alley story. Oh, oh which we'll, yeah. get, we'll get to that in a bit, too. So anyways, so um, he 
while he's shooting, he accidentally shoots the hermit, who's now visibly sick, and he needs a doctor, and he tells the hermit several times, don't come any closer, and he still just keeps coming closer. This, this hermit's not that smart. But then again, most of the characters in the films are not smart for this reason, but we'll get to that. So eventually he just shoots his BB gun at the guy because he wouldn't stop getting closer to him. And then he didn't hit, I, I guess he hit him, but like it didn't do anything because it's a BB gun. So he just falls into a, uh, a hole that he was in and then just goes off to the cabin. And that's where they start sharing stories. And there's a bet that happens between the blonde guy and James DeBell's character where for the rest of the whole vacation, they drink nothing but beer. They can't drink water. They can't drink soda. They can't drink juice beer it's such a stupid fucking bet but whatever they threw that in there and then then we get to the stories where Ryder strong's character talks about how he uh used to work at a bowl or used to go to a bowling alley but it was shut down because some random dude came in and tied everybody up and just like hacked everybody one of which was a guy that worked there that smiled all the time and they found his head in in one of the bowling machines with, with him still smiling now what was the point of this scene? I was about to ask that same question. What the <laughs> hell was the point of this scene? There is a, there's a lot of shock value in this movie. Well, it's Eli Roth. It's Yeah, but, obviously Eli Roth is a huge mark for horror films. He's a he's very well educated, too. If you ever watch his AMC show, Eli Roth's History of Horror, he narrates this show. And he talks about a lot of stuff. A lot of different things of horror that I didn't even know about. And he's a very smart guy, but at the same time, he's a mark. He's yeah, a mark for these films, so there's a lot of nods to other horror films that don't that doesn't really add to this movie at all, just for the sake of just he just really wanted to do it. Well, like, wasn't he responsible for Hostel? Yes, that, yes, he made that movie. Yeah, that movie was like I, I guess the first movie was okay, but like, eh. I, I mean, Cabin Fever to me was more enjoyable than Hostel, I guess. Anyways. So, actually, Eli Roth appears in this movie as a character. He this does. Weird, this weird rabbit dog, and they, he comes to the campfire with some bud. And eventually uh, it starts to rain, and then he leaves, and we never see him again until they find his dead body. But I guess we'll get to that. Originally, um, that character, there were two actors that I heard that were supposed to play Eli, that, that character that Eli Roth played. One okay. I heard was Michael Rosenbaum. For those that don't know, he's Lex Luthor on, on the TV show Smallville. And he said no to that role because of his filming commitments to Smallville. And the second choice I heard was Danny Temporelli. Danny Temporelli? You mean Pete and Pete Danny Temporelli? Yes. He was supposed to play, oh, I guess, exactly. I don't know. I want to call him a junkie, but whatever. A pothead, let's just say that. That this character and why did he not get this role? I'm not sure. I guess now that the budget to this film was only like what uh, one and a half million, maybe he just couldn't afford Danny. Danny, I, you made you made a smart choice not taking that. I, I would have actually preferred Danny Tamborelli being in James DeBellis' role. Could you imagine <laughs> Danny Tamborelli telling a story about a dog licking his balls after he's jerking off? Like, <laughs> why shoot squirrels? Because they're gay. Because they're gay. <laughs> um, okay, I don't care if they're gay. They can do whatever they want. Now, 
I, I wanted to ask you, so was the reason the whole they told that bowling story was just because of the Columbine? That happened like around the same time? What, was there supposed to be like a connection between the bowling for Columbine and this little story that uh, Boy Meets World kid told about him working at this bowling alley? Even if it did, what does Columbine got to do with a flesh-eating virus in a cabin? I don't know! <laughs> Shock value! Why would they gonna come to... <laughs> You gotta understand, folks, he's not just telling the story, they're showing flashbacks, too. They're showing, like, little flashbacks, and they're showing the guy who worked at the bowling alley in his actual face. It's not like he's just saying these stories. Like, this is almost in tune with... Here's the thing. When you watch the first scene in Reservoir Dogs, okay, yeah, you may say to yourself it's pointless that Quentin Tarantino's character is talking about Like a Virgin and the meaning behind it and the whole tipping scene where Mr. Pink didn't want to tip. Here's the problem, though. That scene was made specifically to get you to understand the characters and their motives. You Literally, that one scene alone gets you to understand the character's personality and how the character's going to play out throughout the rest of the film without it being shot directly in your face, which is why I think the scene is great. Because you see um, Mr. Pink, he talks about how he doesn't want to tip because he's selfish. He thinks that uh, he shouldn't just tip for the sake of it. Mr. White, he looks out for these people. While he may be a thief, he has morals, which you see later because he tries to stick up for Mr. Orange after getting shot because he felt he was responsible. Mr. Blonde, who's just like, eh, I couldn't care less about what the hell is going on. He's just like, whatever. You can tell he's going to be fucking heartless throughout the whole thing. Mr. Orange, when uh, Joe Cabot says, who didn't tip? He's like, Mr. Pink. That's an automatic clue right there. He's the fucking snitch throughout the film. You see Joe, who is asserting his authority to everybody and everybody's buckling down. The only one that doesn't is Mr. White because Joe has respect for him. So you get that kind of connection with him. Nice guy, Eddie. You see his person. It, it's, it works out in the end. So the stories may not correlate to the main story, but it gets you to understand the character's motives and gives you a little subtle hints of who they are, what their motives are, and where they're going to go. This, however, did not say anything for any of these characters. I'm sorry. This is just brand. Two just Again, shock value. I'm going to be saying that a lot, at least for this first film. So anyways... E Eli Roth. Ooh, faced! Yeah, what, what was his dog's name? Uh, Doctor something. He had a weird name for that fucking dog. Um, and, anyway, they smoke pot with this Eli Roth for like two minutes, and then it starts raining. He says that he's got to get back to his uh, tent because he doesn't want anything getting soaked. And as you mentioned, that's the last time we see of him. Well, he's, he was supposed to come back with the weed. He was supposed to go get some more weed and bring it back. So they go inside the cabin. They start telling funny stories, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the James DeBell tells the masturbation story, and then they hear a knock at the door, and it's the hermit. He's even more sick, but this time he's got a hat. Where the hat came from, I don't know. But he's like, I need a doctor, I need a doctor. And then, when they're about to try and get a doctor, he notices James DeBello shot him and said, you shot me. And then that's when James DeBello just gets in defense mode, closes the door, says, we're not gonna allow this fucker in here. So the guy tries to steal their car. <laughs> okay. So they come outside with a gun. 
a baseball bat, a knife, and all that. He starts puking blood all over the car. This, that, and the other. They beat the car up. They shoot the car. They completely just total the car. And then that's when the yeah, hermit they, they did more up. damage to the car than he did. Pretty much. They, all he did was germify it. So he came out. He's going after the girls. And then basically, uh, I think it was Ryder Strong that lit him on fire. And that's when he ran away. Yeah, I noticed um, one of the girls had like a pepper spray on her. And I wonder that's how, like, because she sprayed him first. And I'm assuming that's how, and then Ryder Strong, he had the torch. And then yeah. I guess that's what ignited the him being on fire. Yeah. So basically, they, are, they accidentally killed this guy. Yeah. Uh, sprays like that are flammable. It even says it right here on my axe spray. Flammable and so fully dry. Do not use near heat, flame, or while smoking. So yeah. Uh, probably that's what got him completely lit on fire. And uh, yeah. So he runs away, and that's that. Next morning, they have to try and find... Uh, way out of here so first things first is that the blonde guy and james DeBello go looking and they find this woman who's hacking a pig and notices that the guts are completely inedible i guess so they need a mechanic so they bring her inside and let me stop you there real quick go ahead they left uh uh rider strong back to cabin he says what do i gotta say and james bell says because you're a fucking pussy <laughs> says, why don't I say the girls while you guys leave? Because you're a fucking pussy. Isn't it obvious? It's, you know what this really, Again, I, I think he, it took from Reservoir Dogs because remember when um, Joe Cabot's giving out the names and he gives Steve Buscemi Mr. Pink? He's like, well, hey, why am I Mr. Pink? Because you're a faggot. <laughs> Holy shit. Oh my God. And, and the, uh, the blind headed guy's girlfriend, I think she went out too to uh, look for help. So, as you mentioned, they go, they go to this one farmer girl. Now she's cutting up a pig, and she, and and when she saw those two guys, she was ranting to them. I can't eat this thing. It's fucking sick. It's disgusting. Blah blah blah. And now I'm and I thought to myself, is this where the virus came from? From these infected pigs? Maybe the dog in the beginning ate one of the pigs, or I don't know how the dog would have gotten it. But I'm starting to wonder if these infected pigs were the original. Patient zeros. It, it's never explained where it was the virus never explained. Was. It was never implied, but that was that was always a theory I had when it came to this movie. When it came to that scene. Well, and and the other thing is the sequel doesn't explain it either. It just oh, further prolongs where the virus is going. But um, yes, yeah, it's never explained. She explains that this pig is infected or it's no good or whatever. So they ask her for a mechanic, and they go inside and they talk about this hermit that attacked him or whatever and he's like she's like you don't mean henry do you ah, of course not and then all of a sudden they look and see photos of that same hermit they just lit on fire <laughs> so they're just like uh yeah yeah we'll just walk into town it's, it's not a very nice house they run away um i know they there's one point where the blonde his girlfriend and james DeBello walk into a house that's empty for some reason never explain why it's empty but it's unlocked and empty and he just decides to eat the family's <laughs> beef jerky <laughs> he just takes the beef jerky and just starts eating it <laughs> oh my god this okay yep that, 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 that's where we are now um I think there's a point where Ryder Strong and the blonde 
I, I'm probably missing some stuff, but I guess they go back to the cab. Oh, no, no. I am missing something. So we get introduced to the cop, Winston. Ah, uh, the party cop. The party man. <laughs> so stereotypical 1970s hippie. 1960s hippie, whatever. Straight out of an Austin Powers film. This fucking guy is just... This is one of those guys that's permanently burnt on mushrooms. Okay? And he's a police officer. So he's trying to get... Uh, file a police report, and then all of a sudden... He's like, oh man, you must have been having some sort of party. Oh my god. Oh, you're gonna be you're gonna be a hit with the party people. You know? Five pounds of dangling meat and all that. An actual quote by him. This goes on and on and on until he leaves on a bicycle. <laughs> he doesn't even have a police car. Yeah, this character's meant to be dopey and, and whatever. But there but, isn't interesting that I have to point out about this character once we're done with this film. But we'll get to that. But he, but he mentions that he's gonna, they're gonna send a tow truck to get grab their uh, truck and bring it to town and fix whatever mechanical problems it has. Since they're, because their truck is shot because of this guy. So basically, right now they're just stuck in this cabin. The only way to travel is by foot, which is what the uh, the other three have been doing to try to get help. Yeah, I think there's. Okay, so anyways, they're in the cabin. Blonde girl and Ryder Strong are sleeping together, and it looks like they're about to, like, have some wham-bam-thank-you-man moment until he starts rubbing up against her leg, notices something weird, and she's got blood on her leg. She's got the virus. Now, I should make mention of this. The hermit is in the ocean. So oh, his, the lake, whatever, yeah. The lake, and his virus is pretty much taken over. And throughout this whole time, she's drinking the sink water that's coming from where the hermit is. So obviously she's getting infected by that. Yes, the water source of that cab is coming from the lake where the hermit's uh, body is. And since he's, his corpse is rotting in that lake, his skin, which means the virus, is all over in that, is all in that water. Yeah. So and that, with that and that's how the blonde got the virus. So with that being said, she starts freaking out. Everyone starts freaking out. They lock her in the room. They're losing their minds. And it's eventually decided to just lock her in a fucking shit. Like sheep for slaughter. It is pretty ridiculous. But anyways, a lot of irrelevant shit happens at this point uh i, I know i noticed they were kind of brainstorming what they were going to do next that they had to get her to a hospital and then the other girl said i'm gonna go you know i'm, I'm just gonna go take a shower and then i realized oh shit that's how she got infected when yeah. she took when she would go take the shower because again that's the water source and then she got infected i'm not sure how james debello got infected i don't know if, if one of the scenes he was drinking water but, or maybe it happened off screen. I'm not. I'm not sure. I'd have to ponder. Yeah, I don't know where he got it, but because he's the second one to show that he's got it. Mm -hmm. But anyway, oh, I think it was maybe because he was inside the truck cleaning it. Maybe that's where he got it. I don't know. Now there was a scene that um, that James and Ryder Strong were cleaning the truck, and then uh, Eli Roth's dog came back. Mm. 
And then yeah, um, and that's where they shot their gun, and then the dog ran away. Yeah. Yeah, because they're trying to fix the, the the truck and everything, and so eventually they do get it fixed, and then James DeBell starts coughing up blood, and then he starts to show signs of being infected, but he hides them for a little bit. So he hides it till until it became noticed. So I think the blonde guy like looked at him. He says, "You oh, oh no, it was Ryder." He says, "You're right. You're not looking so good. Kind of, you can't see his face. Yeah, I'm not feeling." Well, so good. this is after they're trying to bring the blonde girl into the truck, and then she starts puking up blood. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, it's yeah. This whole situation is fucked, and obviously he drives to go get help. Then the blonde dude grabs two cases of beer and is basically saying, I don't want any of us getting sick, but you all keep fucking touching her and, and, and getting all germed up, so I'm not going to get sick. And then he just runs away, and he's not seen until the very end of the film. So he's just pretty much in hiding with two uh, or 12 bottles of beer. Yeah, he's in he's in germaphobe mode. Yeah, he's in complete uh, pre- beginning stages of COVID mode. Um, so... Now we get to James DeBell going into the store that they were at originally. Uh, the man that is the father of that little blonde boy, he basically said uh, he'll get him a doctor. That's when the blue blonde kid's like, pancakes, pancakes. And he's like, I don't got no pancakes. And then the kid starts doing like karate moves. And then he fights James DeBello. And then obviously he gets infected. Why is he doing karate moves? Why is he doing flips? Why is he saying pancakes? Any major studio executive when it asks these questions says, you can't answer it, cut this scene out. <laughs> no. But because it was independently made, they got away with it. We need an we need a reason for these guys to go after the sick people. So the father comes up with this weird, nonsensical logic where he thinks that because he came sick, he murdered his son. That's, he says, yeah. <laughs> that's one of the logic and i remember the line to this day because i remember like what the fuck he goes you being sick that's your problem now dennis is sick that's my problem and if i get sick that's lucille's problem who the fuck lucille is who knows um so we gotta so, stop the problem <laughs> we gotta stop the problem right now Monster! You getting my boy sick is the same as killing him. It's murder. Like, what? <laughs> I've already lost yeah. one boy. I'm not gonna lose another. God damn it! What pancakes? <laughs> <laughs> so he just drives off and then they obviously are on the chase. Meanwhile at the cabin, the blonde dude's girl makes mention that you ever been in a situation, two riders strong where everything is like falling apart and you just want to fuck the person next to you and then that's when they just have sex for some reason but while they're having sex he's grabbing her back and you start to notice marks on her back um that's when he says i'm just gonna walk i'm gonna go look for help or whatever and she goes and takes a shower she goes takes a shower james bell is running away from those uh people at the store She's shaving her legs, and then that's when you start to see that her skin is infected. So she's scraping. All of a sudden, oh, my God, she's bleeding into the shower. She runs out of the the cabin, and then that dog comes, and somehow this dog is able to just completely rip her apart. Yeah, 
completely apart from the dog and the flesh-eating virus. Yep. Meanwhile, Ryder Strong comes out, and the dog is devouring on the blonde girl inside the cabin. Dog chases after Ryder Strong, and Ryder Strong was able to be quick enough to shoot the dog in the face. To which oh. he goes, he goes into the cabin, sees the girl's face. It's completely skeleton-like, although she's still alive. So rather than just shooting her in the head and putting her out of her misery, he beats her with a shovel. Okay. I guess he was. I guess he was out of ammo. The rifle. I don't know. Why would you give her like the most gruesome death? <laughs> You're right. She just used a rifle. <laughs> also, when he was when he was out there, he found the body of the hermit and realized, oh shit, it's in the lake. But then when he's hanging on the on the wooden ladder, the ladder breaks and he falls right on the body. Well, I mean, he was already infected by that point, but that just solidified that that he's got the virus. Here's what I don't understand. Why he kept poking at it just so that he could see the bodies? I mean, you didn't need to do that. You didn't need to do it. It was stupid. Anyways, so James Cabell comes back and uh, Ryder Strong puts him into the house or the cabin, I should say. And that's when the three guys come. They open up the door. James Bell goes, good night, fucker. And then one of the guys blasts him away. So now that's three of the teenagers dead. But... The guy that shot him gets hit in the face with a shovel. And I don't know if he dies or not, but he's never seen again uh, as far as like on real screen. Dexter, the dude with the box, is trying to do something with the box. I don't know. He's trying to open it. <laughs> and then Ryder Strong stabs him in the ear and no reaction comes from him. He still has the same deadpan reaction. Oh, I forgot to mention this. When he hits the guy in the head with the shovel, he accidentally shoots his shotgun and it shoots the main guy, Dennis's father. Yes. Then, freaking the, the, the ball guy, Dexter, he gets his ear stabbed and he has no reaction, same reaction, just falls to the ground. Dennis's father's like crawling, 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 and then somehow, Ryder Strong grabs a stick. A stick and is able to impale this motherfucker. Is he chasing? Is he my fire? <laughs> I don't know. I, I loved how when those three guys approach the cabin, they like look around like the front yard and they see like, like, flesh and a and a, a bro a, like a bitten off leg. They're like, what the hell is going? They thought they were part of some cult. This is so unchristian like. <laughs> yeah, but it's very Christian to chase somebody down with a fucking rifle. So, anyways. You know, Ryder Strong is, I think, yeah, at this point he's infected and he's driving and he accidentally hits into a deer. Well, well, first he's yelling, he's trying to find a blonde guy, let him know not to drink from the water because that's space that's, you know, the water's infected. And then yeah. he goes into a cave, finds Eli Roth's character, and the whole bottom part of his body's been chewed off or what the hell happened to him? Was it the dog? Did his dog do that to him? I don't know. It was never explained how he got that way, but like it's the whole like bottom part of his head is just like all gone. He looks like he's been chewed up or rotten off, or it was never really explained because his face doesn't look like he's been infected by the virus. So it was very weird. And then when he leaves yeah. the cave, it's nighttime. Yeah, it's, it's fucking weird. Anyway, so he gets into a car. He's driving, and that's when he gets into a deer, and the deer is like swinging its hooves, obviously. So he grabs a shotgun, shoots it, and conveniently he finds Winston, the cop. 
who's having, you guessed it, a party, man. They're all sitting there singing Kumbaya with their guitars. They're drinking beers and all of that. And uh, he's like, I need a ride to town. And that's when Winston gets a radio saying that uh, his people, Ryder Strong's people, are dangerous. Shoot on sight. He doesn't want to do it. But his friends are like, come on, just fucking do it. And I, everything happened so fast. There was, the, I think one scene, or this one part, scene in particular, the guy swings his guitar to hit Ryder Strong. He misses and hits his friend with the harmonica. And the harmonica goes down his throat. So, <laughs> Every time he started talking, you hear the harmonica going off. <laughs> it's, like, it's like a cartoon effect. Yes, it was so ridiculous. So he beats everybody up, or he starts puking on people, and they all run away. And that's when Winston's like, you fucked up the whole party! You fucked it all up, man! And that's when Ryder Strong's like, party's over, knocks him out with a stick. And, um... I think he heads into the highway, and that's just when he falls, and that's when he goes into the ER. They ask him where he got this disease, tells him it was from a hermit, and I can't remember what they said, but they basically said he had to be transferred. They, this is, no, the whole, like, last, like, 20 minutes of this film, like, it felt like it was on fast forward a bit, or, like, because I felt like scenes were missing, because everything happened so fast. So, it happened so fast, but it also dragged, which is weird. It's weird because, okay, he told the cops what happened, or he gave him like, parts of the story, whatever, and the hospital said, we're not capable of handling this type of procedure. So basically, they had to get, you know, he had to get transferred, or he has to go somewhere else. He can't stay in that hospital. But at the same time, right before, as he was being brought into the hospital, before that scene, you see the pancakes boy in the hospital bed, and... Yeah, you, and there's like a bunny, like like a mascot bunny, like trying to entertain him with pancakes in his hand. What the wow. fuck was the point of that? Actually, I totally missed that. I have to watch that scene again. Again, shock value? I don't know. I don't. I get. You know, look, Eli Roth is is a fan of horror films. Someone mentioned that this was like his nod to The Shining. If you remember the scene where um. Shelly Duvall is running around the hall, just like toward the end of the film. And she looks in one of the hotel rooms, and that's, uh, I think the butler was like getting a head job by uh, a guy dressed in a bear costume. Mm hmm. I, I think it was trying to be something like that. Again, why is that scene there? Shock value. Sure. But anyway, so that happens. Uh, Doofus cop, a party cop, uh, takes Ryder Strong's body, I guess, because he's like in the back of the police car. And Ryder's like, you know, I need to go to the hospital. And party cops like, don't worry, man, we'll get you. We'll get you. you. know, he says, I need water. Don't worry, man. You'll get. We'll get you all the water you want. They never show the just... scene where a doofus cop or party cop dumps his body in the lake. Yeah, his body just ends up there. Meanwhile, ends up there. My, meanwhile, the blonde dude finally gets out of his cave and is walking around, he walks around the uh, the cabin, he looks and sees all the macabre and all that stuff. And his first words are, everyone's dead, everyone's dead. And you're like, oh my God, this is a heart-wrenching moment. Then he follows up with, but I made it. I made it. I fucking made it. I fucking made it. And then he walks out his front door, I fucking made it. And then all of a sudden, all the fucking cops just shoot him dead on sight. Shades so, of Night of the Living Dead? 
as in take the all, ending. Take all the bodies, put it in the fire, campfire, and they light him up, burn him up, blah, blah, blah. So you see Ryder Strong's character in the, uh, the, the lake. You see the kids grabbing water from that same lake to make lemonade. They make a lemonade stand right in front of that store. Now keep in mind, the old man from earlier is outside, not questioning where the other people are because they just fucking disappeared. <laughs> it's just him running that store. Him and- <laughs> yes, no. So anyways, he's sitting there and, and the cops are having a lemonade and he's enjoying himself. Now, this is where everything just fucking ties in together. It's just so oh, fucking God. So he's sitting there, he's being like the old jolly grandpa. And then three black people come up, two black dudes and a white, a black woman. And, and they play hip hop music too, as they exactly as they, once they, they come on screen. <laughs> they really want to drive home the fact that these, th- yeah. So, anyways, the old man, if you remember from earlier, gets up and he's going inside his shop, and you're like, oh shit, is he actually going to shoot these guys? So he goes behind the counter, grabs the rifle. The three black people come in, and he's like, here's that rifle that I got you. I got it shined up all nice. And they're like, oh, what's up, my N-word? And this and the other. And it's like it was a perfect tie-in. What a way to end the film. Tie in a very loose end that really didn't need to be tied. But they did it anyways. And then we get the closing. You see everyone drinking these children's lemonades. Now they're all infected. And in the background, you see a water a water company, uh, Low Down Water, whatever it's called. And they all get their water supply from that damn lake where Ryder Strong is rotting. Mm-hmm. And that's Cabin Fever. And that is Eli Roth's Cabin Fever. I have a guilty pleasure for this movie. It's a horror yeah. film. It tries to be a black comedy. I I, I think he's trying to... He it's, it's like he wanted to make a horror film, but at the same time, he wanted to have its dark comedy moments, kind of like Evil Dead 2. It had great moments in this film, and it had some real sluggish moments. But overall, a slightly moderate thumbs up. I can't really hate this film. It had some really good stuff. It it dragged at points, sure, but it it was very entertaining in most areas. And like I said, that tie-in at the end, where you thought that the old man was just a racist that wanted to shoot black people, you come to find out that those are his his buddies. that, That was pretty clever. Um, some may criti- <laughs> some may critique that it ended on a comedy note. That's fine, but um, I don't take this film that seriously. There is some pretty gore- uh, gruesome stuff. Uh, maybe not into today's standards because this mo- movie was made in two thousand two. But overall, lo- looking back on it, this film wasn't that bad. The uh, special effects was done by Greg Negataro, who does The Walking Dead, and Robert Kurtzman, who did um, directed Wishmaster. Hmm. This this film has its flaws, but it's it's good. It's it's a fine film. It's, it, my only complaint is there's just some unanswered things of why this even correlated to anything, like the uh, the scene where he talks about the bowling alley and everybody getting massacred. It just didn't add to the film, didn't add to the characters or anything. Yeah, you do have some stuff that's there for shock value and point scenes that didn't add to the final, to the overall story. Overall, it's a guilty pleasure. I give it two thumbs up. 
I, I can't help it. I, I like this movie. What can I say? I give it a moderate thumbs up. Like, slightly thumbs up. And that is Cabin Fever. And unfortunately, it gets worse from here. And then we get to Cabin Fever 2. Spring Fever. This film was shot in 2007. And didn't come out till late 2009. Apparently, this film was also distributed by Lionsgate, but this time they had more of a say in what happens behind the scene. The film was directed by Ty West. It was written by Ty West and Randy Perlstein, Perstein, whatever his last name is, uh, who also co-wrote the first film with Eli Roth. Um, they made a lot of changes to this film uh, once it was completed. There was extensive reshoots, rewrites. To the point that director Ty West said he wanted his name off of the credits to be Alan Smithy, which is usually the default name they use for directors whenever they don't want their name on their projects. If they're like not proud of it and they're embarrassed by it. But the studio said no and they put his name in the towel anyway. Hmm. Let's talk about Cabin Fever 2, Spring Fever, starring, not starring, Ryder Strong. He got top billing in this movie during the opening and the closing credits. Some reason. I thought he was dead. I thought he was dead. I thought he was dead too. But he somehow lived because he shows up with the half like decrepit face or whatever, and then he just he's running around in the forest, and then he just gets run over. I guess that's that's the end of Ryder Strong. But he's shown in flashbacks. Now remember what I said earlier about Winston, the cop. He's the character that actually returns for this film. I was totally invested in Deputy Winston. There's not really much to say about this film. No, there's not much meat to this at all, yeah. Anyway, this is now taking place after the events of the first film. It's about some high school, these two high school boys who obviously are the, the offbeats. You know, one guy is in love with another girl who's in, in a relationship with this jock who knows karate and all that stuff. Now, while all this is going on, um, there's a water company that's distributed water amongst every single place, but it's the water that's infected from that virus that we talked about and everybody's drinking it. There's not really a whole lot to say. Um, I, there's a couple things. For starters, the, the 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 stuff in here is just absolutely fucking stupid. Um, should we go in order, or should, can we just like shoot I'm off? Not, yeah, we're just gonna shoot off. The only thing I wanted to mention was that the main lead kid, uh, I guess the main boy, high school boy. Uh, you might not know his face, but you may recognize his voice. For any old school Nickelodeon fans, I'm talking about the 90s. Ever watched the TV show Kablam? Yes. He was the voice of Henry, the green hair kid. Uh, oh my God, Henry in June. Holy shit. Henry in June. Yeah, that's that's Henry. He's he, I know he's a frequent collaborator with our best friend, uh, Ryan Johnson. And uh, he was in Star Wars, The Last Jedi. Yeah, I saw that. That's, that's a hell of an accolade. I mean... Yeah. Whether the film was good or bad, just to be acknowledged on the fact that he started something Star Wars related. Not uh, good in a nutshell, but... Henry, Henry's done alright with his career. 
so the film is centered around a prom that's happening later that night. And meanwhile, all these kids are drinking the water. Yeah, you knew it was all going to go to shit. Yeah, because everything virus-related turns to shit, okay? Okay. So, whatchamacallit, they actually play the song Born to be Alive. I think the artist is Patrick Hernandez. They play the song, or literally the whole song, while it, the the dialogue is going through, like like the transition where everybody's getting ready for the prom and all that stuff. There's one scene in particular where the the little obese woman, she's making the fruit punch, but she's been drinking that water for quite some time. And then the jock who thought he should be an easy fuck, they go into the pool and they start fucking and all that. Now the virus is catching up to her, but somehow this virus can remove teeth because she bumped, uh, slightly bumped her teeth against the guy's head and her teeth were falling out. And then that's when she just started disintegrating into the fucking pool and... The guy slipped and cracked his head, and I guess that killed him. They, they were really the first deaths in this particular part. Um, the, the the FBI or whatever shut down the whole school. No one's allowed to escape, so they just throw like. Oh, I, I should mention that the one janitor decided he was gonna pee. He was gonna pee into a fucking punch bowl, and when he the peed, only scene. And the only scene we get of him prior to the to the punch bowl was when the one was when the uh, one kid knocked down one of the signs. He picks yeah. up. He's like those little shitheads. Yeah, uh, he was really mad about that. <laughs> so mad that he starts peeing in the punch bowl, but like the two thirds of it is regular pee, and then it becomes blood because you know they gotta drive home the fact he's infected. I guess but, because. Like, disintegrated into the punch because you don't see any of the dark yeah. blood in there in the first movie when you were infected you had like these weird patches on your body and here it's just like people just start puking blood and, and pus and all that stuff and it's so literally the scene where everybody's in the gymnasium and everyone's puking and we're trying to escape reminded me of stand by me when they're talking about the story about lard ass and everyone's puking out the blueberries this is exactly what this reminded me of. It was just like constant. And, and and I think this movie ended on such a weird note because everybody's dead. Uh, Winston is trying to leave town with his cousin. And it, it, nothing really is complete because you got the main character. He's been taken away by these people. The girl that he was in love with runs away and goes with Winston and her cousin somewhere. One of the girls that uh, gave a blowjob to uh, the main character's friend, she's infected. She's got all these things on her on her breast and all that. Yeah. And then she, yeah. you know, like, yeah, she works at a strip club. Everything about this movie was just like, I kept asking myself throughout the whole film. I can imagine to myself, why does this film even exist? I would love to know what the original screenplay was. Because I could kind of tell what where the producer said, all right, let's do this, let's do that, let's do this. I the whole stripper scene at the end and all like and then they're showing like what happened to everybody else that was at that stripper club when they went on their day daily lives and then basically they ended up spreading the virus to their workplace or wherever the hell they were going. I think all that was 
post production changes. Because, as you mentioned, everything felt so open and nothing. There was really there was no closure. We don't know what happened to the party cop. Can we last see him and his cousin pick up the girl? Which, by the way, his cousin needed more screen time. Says the scene that kind of got a chuckle out of me is when he elbow dropped the cop. Oh yeah, because the cop basically told him you got to turn back, and he's like, "Here, here's a little bit of pay. Like, I'll give you a little something." About to, uh, the guy's about to take it, he just drops it. So the guy wants to pick it up and then he just gives him a Randy Savage elbow drop. <laughs> and it worked. It, it worked, yeah. See, Seth Rollins, you an elbow drop. That'll knock him right out. Um, I, they also make a nod to the first film with the pancakes when he's in the uh, little uh, diner. Ooh, I've been looking forward to your pancakes all day. And he's about to eat them without any syrup. What and, kind of monster is that? Until the guy next to him, I think was supposed, who, who I think was an employee from that water company, like starts having a spasm, and he's puking up blood. And if, and if you don't know, that's the same actor that was in that uh, CM Punk movie. The uh, he was the preacher. Oh god. Yeah. And so he, he starts puking up blood, and that's when Winston starts it, putting two together. Yeah. Then the lady starts performing an exorcism. <laughs> he, he thinks he's being possessed. <laughs> So, and, and the woman just stands there with the phone in his hand, and he's like, nine, one, one. <laughs> like, like, she's looking like you're a cop. <laughs> and, and the other little scene I liked was when he went to the um, the water factory. Um, the, who's that one comedian that was? Judah Freiland, I think is his name. He has a Netflix special, which is pretty good. He just buries all these different countries. Um... And then when FBI or whatever these Secret Service people come, he was like, "The water here is bullshit." <laughs> yeah, he tries to say, "The water here is bullshit," and they just blast his ass away. <laughs> I will say this: the principal is a fucking idiot and an asshole. Keeps like literally two occasions where the bully is picking on the main character, and he goes after the the kid that's picked on. Clear as day, like literally the second scene. The bully kid's got the guy in an arm bar, and he's escorting the kid that's in an arm bar out of the fucking party. Well, which, by the way, that there was no point to that scene at all, which is him, like, in the principal's office. I was like, cut this shit out. It just, it just went on and on. I'm like, ugh. There was one I scene said, where after he gets kicked out, he starts chastising the girl by saying, why do you always got to fall in love with assholes when... You know that I'm a good guy, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. I felt good after watching that. That was a good rant. I was like, I, I felt empowered. <laughs> but, but then again, he was probably mansplaining, so that also negates everything. By the way, that principal, um, his name is Buck, and he's here to fuck. He's he was in Kill Bill. He was no Mr. Feeney. Mr. Feeney was a fair man, who also <laughs> was a teacher of Ryder Strong, Sean Hunter, and Boy Meets World. Ah. So, so I'm surprised they didn't make him the principal, that actor. No, nah, I think it, it, people wouldn't have bought Mr. Feeney as being a complete asshole. So Mr. Feeney was a great man. Yes. This, he was just a straight-up dickhead. That's why when he went up to the window and said, I'm a principal of the school and I demand answers. All right, Damn. you get a bullet in the head. Yeah. 
and and this was like I don't know what the fuck this was inhumane like they're just trapping all these kids in the school and throwing in smoke bombs and all that it's one part where the main kid's friends uh, there's like blood coming out of his penis and, and pus is pissing out like what the fuck like, there, this, yeah, there's also a scene with that. I think this girl had like a miscarriage in the bathroom. Yeah, that was. What? I don't know what the hell those was happening. I don't. I don't know what. I don't know. Let's see. To me, and this is sad to say. I prefer the scene in Human Centipede Two, where the woman actually does give birth and then just kills the baby right afterwards. At least that was fun. <laughs> Ridiculous. Come on. But yeah, this film did not do it for me. Um wasn't necessary it, it wasn't necessary um i wouldn't mind seeing a director's cut because again ty west's original vision version of cabin fever 2 was shot and completed but then the studio came in and filmed all this extra shit behind his back and that's why he got so pissed off who wouldn't any any director would so would he be interested in doing a director's cut i don't know i doubt it if we'll ever get one because i think for you to have like a director's cut you gotta at least have some name value and Ty West doesn't have any name value with the exception of doing, I think he directed a skit in the first VHS film and a skit in the ABCs of Death. I, I couldn't tell you what any other film he's made that I know of. Well, that and the fact that this film didn't really uh, capture the hearts of many. So it's not like anybody's clamor for it's not like Rocky Four, where, yeah, we want to see 40 more minutes of extra material that you have for this film. Or even Halloween, where like everybody's a mark for that franchise. So yeah, we got the producers cut for Halloween Six. Mm -hmm. This is Fever Two. I would be would curious just to see what his vision was, just out of curiosity. Because now this is the second time I've seen this film. First time was like many years ago. But I don't know. Like this, this film just wasn't necessary. Like it, the first film on its own was fine. There was no need for a sequel. And if you're going to have a sequel, why are you going to have the sequel start off with the ending of the first movie where Ryder Strong's completely fucking dead, be completely negated? And on, and on top of all that, that's false advertisement because you're promoting Ryder Strong as the le he's the leading man in the film. He He's in the opening and the closing credits. He gets top billing. That's false advertisement. He's barely in the movie. He's in it for like a minute. Yeah. And then he gets And then he gets hit by a bus. And the bus driver says, oh, I didn't see him when Ryder Strong was standing in the middle of the road and the bus driver, like, was swirling and hit him. How did he mm -hmm. not see him? Yeah. Uh, it was... Uh, this was just... I don't know. This just didn't do it for me. This, this movie doesn't work for me, brother. Yeah, this didn't do it for me. This gets a thumbs down. Uh, skip it for me. Yeah, it just made the virus more ridiculous. Yeah, they went way more over the top with it, yeah. Yeah, but more unrealistic. I mean, at least the first movie with its limitations because it was 2002 was at least somewhat viable. But this was just not. And, and, and keep in mind, the first movie was a little ridiculous too with its comedy, but... It, it, Even with the comedy here, they went overboard. Yeah, most of the comedy, at least in the first movie, hit. Most of the comedy here missed. Yeah. You know there's a Cabin Fever 3. I saw that. Oh, you saw that one? 
No, I, I saw that there was a Cabin Fever three. There's a Cabin Fever three, and then they remake the they remade the first Cabin Fever film, which was terrible, terrible. Why would you need to remake a film that happened within the new millennium? I don't know why they keep thinking they can make a movie franchise out of fucking Cabin Fever. Did Eli Roth have any, like, input in it? I doubt, no. I mean, he probably got executive producer credit because of the first movie, but it's, kind of, it's like John Carpenter just putting a stopping his name in whatever sequel you make to his film or remake without really him being involved. Just so he can get his uh, his royalties. His royalties, and then they just throw his name on there because they think his name value will s- help sell the movie. Sure. That's basically what they do with these Cabin Fever films. The third one, I think it's supposed to be like a prequel to the first one because it's called Patient Zero. So, it, and I, I've seen it. I, I, I've only seen it once. This was like, this we're going back at least five years ago. I have to see it again. I remember not enjoying it. I, it's a film that I felt took itself too serious. Delved away from the entertainment that was the first film and what the second film tried to make. Yeah. The first film, the third film was alright, let's try to make this serious, but they made it too serious to the point it was too ridiculous. Especially during the ending. But that is another story for another time. Mm-hmm. Uh, any final thoughts on these two Cabin Fever films? Any on any last closing thoughts? I, I, I do agree with the guy in the first film that uh, these films constantly being made, it's a problem and we need to stop the problem. And we need to stop it right now! <laughs> that's the rifle! <laughs> that's, that's all I gotta say. First film was fine. I enjoyed it. This one, eh. I didn't hate it, but I did not like it either. I mean, I, I, I'll i take the first one any day, and uh, I'm, I'm dreading the day I have to watch the third one. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hate the second one either. It was just, I was just watching it, and it ended up just saying, eh, what the hell's the point of that? Yeah, it just, there was no point to it. It's just like, I didn't watch anything. I, 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 I didn't hate what I saw. I didn't love what I saw. I just, I felt nothing. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. And uh, we don't get back to you guys. We like to wish you all a uh, happy holidays. Happy Thanksgiving. Be careful for Black Friday. Don't get uh, trampled to death. And that's, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. I think we got a fever from this. And the only prescription is we need to stop it right now!